Welcome to Inside Athletic Training, a podcast from the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainer Society and the ultimate destination for athletic training professionals, students, and educators looking to learn more about sports medicine and athletic training. In each episode, we'll dive headfirst into conversations with experts in the field, bringing you insights, stories, and cutting-edge information about athletic training and sports medicine. On this episode of Inside Athletic Training, we welcome in Vic Scarpone, the minor league medical coordinator for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Enjoy the show. All right, Vic, welcome to Inside Athletic Training. Uh, Super excited to have you on for episode 46 of the show. You're currently the minor league medical coordinator for the Los Angeles Dodgers, obviously a huge role within the organization. And we'll get into that in a bit here, but I want to take it back to the beginning a bit and then share with the listeners a bit about where you're from um, and also how you found your passion for athletic training. Yeah, so I'm I'm from uh, the suburbs of Chicago, Libertyville, and uh, I always kind of knew I wanted to, to get into what I thought was, you know, physical therapy. I had the, the idea that I wanted to rehab uh, people that lost their ability to, to walk. And so going into school at University of Kansas, I obviously had to get an undergraduate degree before going into PT school. And athletic training popped up as one that I didn't gravitate to initially, but kind of talking to some peers, they, they were getting involved in it. And I figured I'd, I'd give it a try, and along the way, I kind of just more gravitated towards that environment, and I never ended up going to PT school, but I found my new passion with athletic training, and uh, even though it, at some points in my life, I've kind of wondered, of like, you know, is, uh, am I doing as much as I could have been doing, because, you know, the most rewarding thing in my in my eyes was rehabilitating um, people back into, into being able to walk, and then, you know, go into, mm-hmm. into athletics, it's obviously not the exact same thing, but I kind of found that, you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme, but you can still make an impact on, on some of these athletes uh, careers and, and lives personally with, with how much time we've spent with them and on a personal level. And uh, if I found that, you know, we, we can really make a, a strong impact if we really, you know, try and, and, and take a different perspective of, of what we're really doing to, to help these, these guys along in their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super interesting to hear what got you started, you know, rehabilitation for people that are unable to walk. And, you know, I know, like you said, it feels like you're doing maybe less than uh, than you set out to do, but obviously a huge role getting players back on the field and, and making an impact in their lives. Uh, obviously, baseball means so much to, to the players as well. Um, I want to start today uh, also by talking about your education before you got into professional baseball. So you mentioned the University of Kansas uh, with your degree in athletic training. Um, talk a bit about your college experience and, and kind of how that set the foundation for you as an athletic trainer. Um, and also maybe touch on, you know, some of the sports you covered during your time at Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. So as with most people listening, I, I, I'm no, no stranger to the the hardships of, of going through the athletic training program with all the hours mm-hmm. that you have to log. And it's definitely not a traditional college experience. I, was, I got my bachelor's degree in athletic training and got certified from there, which I know we're mm-hmm. moving away from a little bit. But again, yep. you know, the, the curriculum is largely similar. And, and I just just realizing that the work ethic and, and the time that you put in, you'd really have to have a passion for it from there, which I think looking back, there was hardly ever any days where I kind of questioned if I was making the right choice. You know, whether it's stocking Gatorade in the, the storage room, just wondering how the supplies to, <laughs> to 
what I really wanted to do, but again, you kind of have to take a different perspective and just understand that the sacrifices we all make, you know, if, if it really means something to you, then you're going to do everything it takes from the, the good days and bad, because, you know, now look at us now we're, we're in a profession. And again, we can't expect every single day to be great. You know, you're going to have to break some mm-hmm. tough news some days and you're going to have, uh, have some backtracking during rehab. So there's going to be those down days and, and there's those monotonous days to where, you know, you're sending out emails and, and just typing on the computer all day, but it's, it doesn't stop it at the education and the, the uh, collegiate level to where um, you got to, you know, put in the time and, and just uh, truly enjoy the, the process all the way through. Yeah. And talk to us a bit about, uh, you know, some of the sports that, that you may have covered that, you know, if you cover different sports in baseball, how that went, um, how it kind of, you know, shaped you as an athletic trainer. The the nice part was the variety. So we'd go by semesters and I got to see, you know, high school sports, uh, female, uh, or sorry, women's soccer, got to see women's soccer, went to off season football, in season football, and then track and field. I think the, the variety helped a good bit just with understanding different kinds of athletes and just how uh, the different preceptors would, would teach us different things. I never got the opportunity to work baseball, uh, but I really found that working with track and field in my senior year set me up the best for just kind of feeling autonomous and definitely getting the, the hands-on like manual therapy skills uh, mm-hmm. just with the volume of track athletes that we had. And then also just being able to be a mentor for the sophomores and juniors, I think that kind of just gave me a little bit of confidence myself going into the actual uh, professional sector and just knowing that, you know, I'm not going to be refined at this, but I know that I'm going to be okay because I had that little bit of a stepping stone where I could, you know, lead a little bit and help and also realize that, you know, I don't have to have constant supervision to fully uh, feel comfortable in my skills. Mm -hmm. And thinking back on your time, uh, during those educational experiences, as you just talked about, was there anything individually that stood out during your time in college that helped you prepare for becoming an athletic trainer in professional baseball? The trust I kind of gained from our, our preceptors and them allowing me to get some some hands-on and to actually try some some different things. I think just the the clinical setting was just the biggest part. Obviously, the curriculum that you learn in the classroom is a great foundation, but actually going to apply that just personally speaking, which is how I kind of learn best is to take what I've taken in school, whether it's anatomy or whatever, but to actually apply that now to my thought process and where I'm, I'm doing an evaluation on a, a, an athlete there. And then being able to you know take notes and, and talk amongst my peers and also with the, the preceptors and kind of just go around and, and explain my thought process and then realizing when you make those mistakes. Cause again, in college, we aren't at the most refined and that's fine. And that's how we get better, but to make those mistakes and then to have it be a, a cohesive kind of effort to where we're sitting down and talking like, okay, I missed this. How could I have done this a little bit better? Mm-hmm. And then going forward, you know, how can I adjust? So just making those mistakes in school where they're controlled mistakes and, um, just being vulnerable and, and being okay with that, I think was just the biggest thing for me to kind of develop into my professional self. Yeah. That that's something, uh, a theme that a lot of your colleagues across the league uh, and people in your position at other clubs have mentioned is that, 
you know, in college in the minor leagues at the lower levels with with no risk or not no risk, but but less risk than at the big league level, making those mistakes and, and kind of learning through experiences is hugely important. So cool to hear you echo those those same statements there. Uh, shifting gears a bit to get into your your professional career a bit. Uh, you got your start in baseball in 2015 with the Arizona Diamondbacks as an intern. Uh, talk about that experience. And, and to start, you know, how did you go about landing that internship experience? I know a lot of our listeners are probably looking to break into the game, maybe even this offseason. Um, share a bit about how you got that job and, and what it was like for you. I think internships are just absolutely one of the biggest helps that I had personally. And I think that a lot of people should definitely not overlook, of, you know, whether there's pay or not. I mean, I never got paid for, for my internships. Um, and so just that, that part of it to where you're going out and you're in a, this different environments, definitely out of your comfort zone. That internship is so important to just be in that uncomfortable spot and to truly just soak everything in and figure out how you can help where you can. And just, you know, you're, it's almost like a long-term interview. You know what I mean? So <laughs> the tough sure. part is when we, when we get these, uh, these resumes, typically around fall time when, you know, everyone's kind of applying for the next season, it's so tough to go through some of these resumes and anyone can, can write down some, some great stuff and mm-hmm. not to take anything away from them, but it's so hard because how do you differentiate, you know, how would you put yourself on a resume versus someone else and, and really yeah. stand out the, the in-person is just so important to where, okay, I know that you know this stuff, but you've showed me, uh, you've been consistent, you know, with that internship, you've shown up on time. Uh, you're, you're spending the time there. You're uh, finding things to do when it seems like you don't have anything to do. Uh, you've shown that you can be a good teammate and just, that's the, the biggest thing for, um, for getting a, a position, a paid position or professionally is just the, the, the proven part of, of having that internship. And I know not everyone's so fortunate to have that opportunity to get an internship. So mm-hmm. going back, uh, myself, I, I did a lot of cold calling and I tried to, you know, pick up every stone and look underneath and say, you know, do you know anyone in, in this sector or that sector? Do you, you know, do you know anyone connected to professional baseball? And uh, there's actually another kid in, a, um, I think it was a, maybe UMKC, but he was, uh, he was working with me at another internship that we did, the Big 12 uh, basketball tournament. And, um, I remember he had a connection for, to uh, Andrew Hauser, who at the time was the medical coordinator with the Braves. Sure. And so he actually happened to be an alumni of, of University of Kansas. And so there's a little bit of a connection there, but uh, I just sent him a, a cold email and I'm just going to see if there's any opportunities, which he had me go through an interview process, which was the Diamondbacks are very good with with being thorough on that and, and really making you think. So I remember mm-hmm. I got the opportunity to go out there in June, uh, June to July and about four weeks. Um, and from there, I think it was, you know, up to me to prove that it was important to me and, and that I was making every effort to, to get better. They weren't necessarily looking for obviously someone refined and someone who, um, knew everything, you know, back of their hand, but they're looking for someone who just had that that hunger for growth, uh, who was going to be, you know, a good teammate and showed just great character qualities. Um, and again, I'm not saying, <laughs> not saying that about <laughs> myself, but sure. Um, just, I think from the perspective of anyone applying to an internship, I, I, I would hope that they understand that the, the character part of it is, is just as, as equally important as it is to be uh, clinically sound. And so, you know, you want to put your best foot forward, but 
just being uh, being open and just listening and also making those adjustments and just, you know uh, you'll have different uh, different people that'll come into an internship. Some will think that they know everything. Some people won't want to make any mistakes. Mm-hmm. And truly listen to the, the mentors that you have there, and just uh, be open and and flexible to try and adjust with however you can, and say you know what can I do to help? Because even if I don't know how to do this evaluation, I can organize the training room. You know, I'm I'm here to volunteer my time. That's really what it is: is volunteer your time and not be all take, but to to give and provide and figure mm-hmm. out how you can. How as well. Yeah, that's a great answer and really just awesome insight for anyone looking to break into the game and in athletic training. Obviously, you're, you know, uh, as a minor league coordinator with the Dodgers, you're involved in in decisions to hire interns and, and affiliate athletic trainers and things like that. So it definitely comes with some weight to hear that from you there. Um, I do want to hear more about, you know, working with the D-backs. Uh, it's actually something that a lot of our previous guests have done. Um, so many people have come up under Ken Crenshaw. Uh, Ryan DePamphilo and and just some awesome mentors like you mentioned before. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what kind of experience you had working with with Ken and Ryan and and the guys who were in Arizona then, and, and how that shaped you as a professional. I hadn't seen anything quite like it, and I had a, a lot of great preceptors at at University of Kansas, a lot of great mentors. Uh, just the the uh, relationships that they had, just the feeling of of togetherness that they had. I mostly worked with Andrew Hauser, Kyle Torgerson, Paul Porter. I know that was kind of my mm-hmm. my tight knit group to where um, just seeing how they interacted with one another, the level of respect that they had for one another, and trust to where it was just very welcoming. I just I never felt like I was in the way there, but it just always felt like they wanted the best out of me, um, and and just a kind of a selflessness, which I think kind of made me realize this is how I want to eventually in some at some day um, to have that influence on someone else to where they're the new person coming in the door. And they feel welcome from the get-go and they feel like there's a direction and they feel like there's a plan for them that's not just on their own, but they have those people that have their back, um, even when they, you know, might not have the most confidence in themselves. Yeah. And after working with the Diamondbacks, uh, you then went on to land uh, minor league athletic training jobs with the Atlanta Braves. I know you're part of that organization from 2016 to 2018. I'd love to hear more about your time in the minor leagues and talk about how, you know, those first full-time years in the minor leagues uh, really helped you grow as an athletic trainer as you kind of get tossed in the fire and and, uh, kind of learn on the fly as your your first full-time years in baseball. No, I remember, uh, so I got, basically a paid internship uh, with the Braves in my first year. And I remember the the salary part of it, I was almost ready to say, you know, the salary is whatever it is. I just want my, my shot and my foot mm-hmm. in the door. Not a, not a great salary at the time, which it's, I, I knew and I understood that you know, my dad always told me, you know, if you're, uh, if you're good at what you do, you'll you'll make your way up, and that salary will be what you want it to be someday. But but the the the, the salary piece of it was just something to where I, I didn't even really consider it. I knew um, I'd be taken care of, and I knew that I was just mm-hmm. trying to set myself up for the future. And you think about just the different parts of professional baseball that we sometimes take for granted. Just you know, they'll put us up in in living. They have our, our food provided and really the, the expenses and that part of it just made me a bit more comfortable to where mm-hmm. I knew. I know everyone comes from different positions where they have to uh, pay for their schooling and, and different uh, parts of that nature, which everyone uh, deals with that on their own. But the, the money piece of it, I think, was 
is something that I was willing to to look past. And um, in those early early stages of my career was basically being thrown into the fire because we had uh, just myself and the medical coordinator at the time to work with three dozen, two dozen uh, rehabs down at the Florida complex. And it was a tricky situation just with how staffing worked out, but that really had to uh, to test my my skills and my ability to adapt because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, you know, I'm coming out of school. I don't know much about a Tommy John rehab. So, <laughs> I mean, I had, I had to rely a lot on, on Joe Matz, my, my medical coordinator at the time to to help out. And he was a great uh, mentor as far as just being able to, to simplify things for me and take it day by day. But uh, you really found out early on in, in the minor league level from after that going to, to short season Danville and just seeing, you know, the, the circumstances are aren't always as you might imagine in, in school, you know, where our training room was in a, a shower or, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, we have, uh, you know, cold cuts for lunch. It's a little more uh, glamorous now, but <laughs> the, the sacrifice and kind of, I guess the, the hardships that we go through, if you want to call them that, but, it's yeah. not not the glamorous part that we that we really uh, look forward to, but it's kind of something that shapes us to where if you can make it work in that environment, and you look in at all the the different backgrounds. I mean, I'm relatively new to professional baseball compared to to some of my uh, of my peers, but just the things they've gone through and and going through the minor league level and just being able to make that work. Once you get up to to the, to the major league level, I mean. There's different challenges on their own as as far as that goes, but you kind of, as far as your clinical skills go, at least if you can work with your hands and and get some effective results there, then pretty much set for for the future when things get a little easier. And speaking of things getting a little easier or or more difficult or or busy for you, uh, after your time with the Braves, you you did move on. Uh, to your your current role with the Dodgers as a minor league medical coordinator. Um, I know this is an extremely busy job. We've spoken with, you know, a lot of people have been in this position, Nick Jensen, Corey Tremble, uh, just to name a few. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that our listeners out there would love to hear, you know, the basic duties and responsibilities of someone in your position. I know the athletic trainer who's in the dugout, at the big league level, you know, a lot of people know the job for the most part, or, or they think they do, but, but talk a bit about the role of the minor league medical coordinator um, and kind of the, the day-to-day duties and responsibilities for you. I have actually started a little bit of a list. I was uh, given one from years past, but it's a list of, uh, of different responsibilities and duties that I kind of find myself doing from any point in the year as it'll, it'll change mm-hmm. depending on the time of the season. But I've made that list and, and going through it and just kind of looking and seeing it's so wide and widespread as far as the, the specifics, like there can be anything from direct player care to it could be something totally that doesn't even seem like it's athletic training related, but the, the big adjustment was realizing that there's people that are, are counting on me to help them out and, and to help guide them to, you know, the, the best solution and also trying to get the correct information from the whole group. Because if you look at it from the standpoint of if you're a, let's say you're an athletic training student in college and you go into the training room and you're working with men's soccer, let's say, and there happens to be some track athletes in there and some, uh, let's say basketball as well, but there's a, a variety of different players in there. So being able to understand why each player is in there, what their situation is, 
what their time frame is, uh, how they're trending, and kind of just knowing the ins and outs. So I would say overall, my job is to kind of know what the situation is with each of our uh, of our players from the rookie affiliate all the way up to AAA, and just knowing if someone asked me at the at the drop of a hat, you know, what's this guy's uh, current status, when's he going to be ready, when's he going to be able to do this, that. So it's a lot of information gathering, but not only that, but it's just being able to trust the, the staff that uh, that I work with and knowing that they're very, um, they're very skilled and prepared to work with these guys. And really all I need to do is just um, get that information. I'll help when needed, but it's just being able to trust them and know that I don't have to micromanage necessarily, but you just get that, that information that you know is needed. And then kind of uh, from there, if that's, if we're talking about player care, um, just making sure that 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 plan is is set in place and that we're all kind of moving in the right direction. Um, Not only that, but then on the development side where we have, like I said, the the staff that kind of relies on me to be that mentor that I mentioned in the previous times, I'm now the mentor to to many, and so this is my opportunity to say, okay, how do I create that welcoming environment? How do I make people feel like they can be vulnerable and ask questions and feel like they're being mm-hmm. um, being groomed and being prepared for their next steps because everyone's in a different point in their in their career, right? And so just, it's just not losing that perspective, I think, and just understanding like I've I've been in these guys' shoes, like I've been uncertain of how to handle a certain player or like how to go about a different situation. And so just keeping that perspective and saying like, it's going to be okay. What's going to make them feel better? How are they better going to be prepared for this situation? And a lot of it comes down to listening to them and giving them a voice as opposed to trying to just lay down rules and say, look, we're doing this. So going back to just overall responsibilities, it's kind of hard to to pin down without (laughs) making a long list and no one really wants to listen to that, but sure. Yeah. You just, you, you kind of have to think about, how does a, a, a week go? Uh, how does the week or the month go for um, just the ins and outs of day to day? Okay, uh, we ran out of a certain supply, so okay, we have to make a, an order. You know what I mean? Things come up, and when you really break down your day and say, okay, where does this come from? What happens if this happens? Okay, this came up. This guy needs imaging. Whatever. Um, a, a, a good part of that is just me overseeing. And, and helping when needed. So if someone needs to see the doctor and I need to facilitate that, I can do that. Um, but in the end, it's it's really just relying on the group as a whole to kind of help with, because I can't be everywhere at once. Sure. So as long as we kind of have that relationship with everyone to where they bring things to me, uh, I'll bring things to them, and, and it's just a, a continuous uh, loop of, of being able to help each other out when needed. Yeah, and obviously a, a super busy time coming up here for you is uh, spring training, uh, being in Arizona with everybody on staff, all the players, you know, developmental guys and also big leaguers. Uh, when you're gearing up for spring training, like just a few weeks away from now, um, how do you go about getting ready for that mentally preparing from going from off season to, to spring training, which is, I'm sure is a crazy time. What what do you kind of do to, to get prepared for a new season? <laughs> Definitely rely on the, uh... Um, Ron Porterfield and Jimmy Southard, uh, they've been a huge help. I mean, they've uh, they've been through it plenty uh, plenty of times, and, and they know what to expect. And just myself taking notes, you know, I took notes from last spring training and saying, okay, on this date, we had to take care of this if it's physicals or whatever. But mm-hmm. basically, you, you go back and say, you know, break it down into, into pieces. Like, okay, we know that we're going to have to take CPR. We know that we're going to have to get impact testing. 
you just make it as simple as possible and say, okay, we have all of our uh, maybe questions or, or situations or problems. How do we uh, go about like lining this up? And I rely heavily on, on those two as well, because Jimmy's uh, been a huge help with, with EMR especially, but um, being able to, to keep all that organized and, and just asking for help from those guys to say, okay, like uh, we need to make sure that uh, these, this part of physical is ready. And then, you know, Jimmy will help out with that. And uh, with new player acquisitions, you know, Ron and I will, will, will take over some, uh, something like a, a risk assessment or, or whatever's needed to, to facilitate that. If it's uh, an entrance exam, physical or, or imaging or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, really just, just looking at, at previous, because the, my first spring training uh, as coordinator compared to my one last year, I mean, it's been three years, but you just think about, okay, I had no idea what to expect or I had very limited idea. And so you go through that and you say, okay, we're, we'll read and react. Or, you, you know, you, you do your best to adapt to that situation, but it takes that to happen once to say, okay, I don't want that to happen again next year. So I need to summarize and kind of reflect on the day and say, what happened today? How could it have been better? Uh, what did we miss? How were we best prepared for this? And even though you have to wait on it for another year, you now have that, uh, that structure to fall back on and say, okay, we know that this is going to happen this year. It's going to happen every year. Mm-hmm. So how do we best do this? And then asking the group, you know, what are your thoughts? How did this go last year? Because again, I'm not everywhere at once. I could think that a certain station at physicals went fine, but in reality, they thought it was a mess. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> yeah. listening to them and saying like, okay, how can we make this easier for you? Because I don't care if we have to change it, if as long as it's going to be uh, easiest on you guys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So really make a list and, and consult with everyone else and, and see if we're missing anything and then just be be ready to adapt if needed. Cause that's pretty much always going to happen. Yeah, and you mentioned one name that I think a lot of people definitely in PBATS, former president, Ron Porterfield, but a lot of people across the league and just in athletic training in general in the community know, you know, Ron Porterfield for, for all he's given to the game, you know, if in Tampa and now with the Dodgers, um, just an absolute icon across the the athletic training community. What's it like working with a guy like Ron? You know, for those that don't know him, he's he's obviously an amazing guy to be around, such a, a veteran and just a kind, loving guy. Uh, talk about what it's like, you know, spending that time with Ron and, and getting to work with him, uh, you know, at spring training and in Arizona throughout the year. You stole a lot of my praises from him. He's <laughs> It's just one of those things. I mean, I hope that everyone listening has, has had a, a mentor that they've really felt like cared for them and, and truly just would do anything, not even for them. Whenever a situation comes up or if someone needs them, uh, he's, he's there for them. And he's not only going to get it done, but he's going to do the best job that he can for it. And he's not he's going to follow up on that about eight to 12 times. That's, <laughs> that's one of those <laughs> things that I always try to uh, keep him in mind because I'll find myself checking something off my list. I'll say, okay, I got that done. And then I'll think, okay, if Ron had this on his list, how would he go about it? Because mm-hmm. I've, uh, you know, he'll, Ron will follow up and he'll, you know, he'll talk to seven other people that are involved in that and be like, okay, this is what's going on with this guy. This, You know what I mean? And he'll follow up. And from not just a, a getting it done, but from a personal level, we've had guys go through, uh, you know, mental health issues and, and just these you know, personal family matters and all that. And, and Ron will follow up with them and, and just reach them from a personal level, not even from needing something from them, but 
that's just something that it just speaks waves about him is, you know, he's, he's always got someone else in mind, you know, and he's always got the, the profession in, uh, in mind. He's always trying to push for, uh, for us as professionals um, to be advocated for. And just having that, um, it just has given me something to try and work towards and be like, okay, this isn't about me. This is about our group. And how mm-hmm. can I show that it's about our group? You know what I mean? Just um, being genuine in, in that, I think is just, um, it makes for a very enjoyable environment to come to work every day. You know, we know that when you come in at 7 a.m. and Ron's already been there for three hours um, and, and he's got the highest energy in the whole room, that just it, it does a great deal for, for the work environment and just getting everyone energized and, um, and feeling passionate about approaching the workday and, and tackling things as opposed to just letting things happen to us. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there in terms of Ron being, you know, an absolute selfless guy um, who really just wants to serve the needs of other people. I think that's that's what makes him who he is outside of the fact that he's he's a true grinder. He's he's always working and and always wanting to get better, you know, even at the later stage in his career. So, you know, like you said, anyone that gets to spend time with him, it's it's such a benefit, you know, myself included. So, you know, I can't say enough about about Ron, like you did there as well. Um, you know, shifting gears a bit, uh, I know you communicate up to Ron as he kind of leads the department there. Um, I've talked with a lot of coordinators over the you know course of doing this show, um, and communication is one skill and characteristic that they say is absolutely essential for someone in the minor league medical coordinator role. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. You know, communication down to, you know, a rookie ball athletic trainer, to the DR, to the Arizona League, um, and all the way up to Ron at the top and to the front office. Talk about how uh, that communication and, and those skills are so important for someone in your position. It really comes down to knowing your audience, um, and that doesn't just involve who's, mm-hmm. who's there or who you're talking, talking to, but understanding what they would need to know. And um, when you have that attention span, I mean, I have to understand we have some very smart people we work with uh, at the same time, their time's valuable. And so being effective with what you're saying to them to where you can hit those points and they can, um, they can key in on that because the more you say to someone, a lot of times or sometimes they're going to filter through what they think is important. So as as much as you can make that uh, easy for them to say, you know, this is the situation with this guy and then just be able to elaborate on top of that. That doesn't mean that you give them a two word answer but you have all of your preparation in your head and you deliver your message and say, this is the situation. And if they say, okay, is that it? You can offer, you know, different parts of it. But um, if there's follow-up questions, you just have to be prepared. But um, you also have to consider, like I said, with the audience, you know, okay, this guy just has a, he just, this guy just went down with an elbow injury. Okay. Um, who is involved in, in his day-to-day and who needs to know about that. So, okay, uh, he's been working with this uh, performance coach. He's got this pitching coach. Okay, uh, who's you know what I mean? Like there's so many different people you have to consider, mm-hmm. which, you know, can pose a challenge, but at the same time it goes back to having that process and stepping back because we can have this guy injured and say, okay, I'm going to go treat him and then I'm going to follow him to this next part and I'm going to, you know, you can – get lost in the weeds for about an hour or whatever it is. And you've totally forgot to let everyone know the situation. <laughs> he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be on field four at the time. You know what I mean? So yeah. take a step back and just breathe. It's like with, with an evaluation, you know, you want to make sure you don't forget these different parts of the injury evaluation 
meanwhile, you totally neglected a different part of, of the situation. So take a step back, understand who needs to be notified, what's the urgency. And uh, the biggest part of that is just repetitions. But kind of going back to Ron, like he's someone where like, okay, I'll t- I told someone once, he told us three, four times, but that's not from a standpoint of uh, overkill, but it's from a standpoint of that's his process to where he overcommunicates, uh, not in a negative connotation. He's he communicates to the point to where it can't be forgotten and it can't mm-hmm. be missed. It's just very thorough to where he thinks these things out and he he can step back and kind of be like a quarterback and see the whole field, as opposed to me checking off and saying, okay, uh, I told this guy. I'm assuming he'll tell someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. I gotta say no. I gotta say like this is who's involved in this uh, situation. And then once we get that handled, we can go on and treat him because the guy's down with an elbow injury and he can't do anything for the rest of the day anyway. Just, you know, buy some time. Like we can, it's all about uh, managing the situation, which is a kind of a, a nuance of athletic trainers that a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of veterans have kind of mastered is just being able to make sure that the situation is under control, which, Something that'll take experience. The other part of communication, I think, is just the the listening part. You know, everyone or a lot of people might think, you know, okay, communicating. What can I say? It's also part of what can I hear and listen and, and comprehend. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you can't give a clear message if you haven't gotten all the right information, and it's not waiting until it's your turn to talk, but it's making sure that the other person uh, has had the chance to share what's going on with them or what they've seen or or what. Uh, information they can provide for you as well. Yeah, that, that's a great, great thing to say there is there's two sides of communicating, you know, one's listening, one's one's getting the word out that, that you need to. Uh, and one interesting kind of aspect that you mentioned there is the feel for situations. I think a lot of uh, a lot of our guests on the show have mentioned that that innate feel for how a situation's going, what you need to share, how you need to manage the situation is something you can't teach. You're not going to learn in, in a textbook, but uh, the veterans, like you said, really have a great feel for situational awareness and, and what they need to do in, in terms of communicating and, and getting things done. So definitely uh, hearing the same from you there. Um, one other thing I want to dive into in terms of your current role is, uh, you know, kind of, I'm sure you had expectations for it when you jumped into it and you were hired, you know, promoted, uh, you know, to the minor league medical coordinator role. Um, you've been doing it for a while now, a couple of years with the Dodgers. Has the position been what you expected it to be? Did you have expectations um, or has it been, you know, way crazier than, than you could ever have imagined at this level? Yeah, I, I went into it knowing it would be a challenge. Um, I tried to never shy away from it. You know, I, I saw it as a a blessing and uh, kind of an honor, I guess, to to be trusted with it. Um, and you know, as anyone will tell you that's been in the position, there's some very difficult days and uh, sleepless nights, and you know, the phone is always on and, and ringing. Um, I think that. Again, being being entrusted with that, I have tried to embrace it to the point to where um, even if you're not, you know, feeling passionate about, you know, the situation or if you get frustrated or whatever, just understanding that there's people that are relying on us um, to get the job done. And, and uh, for that, I mean, I I couldn't be more, more grateful for, for that opportunity because uh, as you go along in your career, I mean, 
I can look at this position and say, you know, this has helped me so much from being uh, better organized, being a better communicator and, um, and a, a better mentor, frankly, which I think is something that I never realized I, uh, I could hone um, to the point I have right now. And I'm still have plenty, plenty more to go, but um, just being able to help the future athletic trainers and, uh, and those that'll take my job someday. That's where I feel, really feel the, the pride of, of this job is, you know, I, if I mess something up, that's fine. Like that's part of it. That's between me and, and whoever else I can, I can deal with that. But if I feel like I let down uh, one of my teammates and someone who's been counting on me, that's where it's a little tougher to, to deal with because I feel like I'm responsible for, for helping them. I'm obviously not carrying them through their career, but when someone counts on you and, and you let them down, uh, that's really a, a motivator to, to avoid for me um, because mm-hmm. I want the best out of our team and we have so many talented and, and I guess just the diversity of, of strengths in, in our, in our medical staff and just looking at all of them kind of interact in spring training in the same room. Um, just seeing all the different skills that they bring and, and, and just that they all have such a, a bright future and trying to, trying to prepare them for when they eventually become a coordinator if they do. And, and if they go beyond that, then, then all the better. But um, it's really just being able to, to try and handle stress uh, because as we know, as you get further in this career, if you can't handle the stress in the minor leagues, it's going to be a lot more difficult in the major leagues. So mm-hmm. kind of sure. get back to your process and just being able to say like, look, I hold true to, to my thought process. This is what I believe in. And from that you can scale it, but, um, but I couldn't do it without our, our team here. It's, it's been a lot easier to transition into. Yeah. Obviously a great team there. You mentioned, uh, you know, from the top at, at Ron Porterfield, who we talked about all the way to the bottom, you guys have, a. Uh, an awesome staff um, with the Dodgers that really, really puts you in a good position to be successful. Um, you know, speaking of of giving the opportunity to other people and and other people being successful around you, um, you're now, you know, kind of a veteran in pro sports. You've been with the Dodgers for a while, you know, internships with the D-backs and, and really, you know, have a lot of experience at this level. Um, I'm wondering, you know, for the college students out there who are either applying for a PBATS internship now, or they are looking to break into the game, you know, this coming season or next or whenever they graduate, do you have one best piece of advice for someone looking to get into pro baseball athletic training and also end up in your position one day? Just volunteer your time and be able to volunteer just your time. You know, there's some people that will be deterred from, from interning because of financial reasons. And again, I understand that it's not easy for everyone to, to give all their time with, without any compensation. But I think if you really show that it's important to you and that, that you're driven towards this and that you want to be in professional baseball, um, I think that it's going to show. And, and I think a lot of us kind of know the right answer. We just kind of want like a better situation. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think, a lot of times we're, we're looking at some of these applicants and they kind of want to dictate and say like, okay, I, I want like this salary. I don't want to be down in the Dominican Republic. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to be uh, able to go home for this number of days. And I understand that, you know, there's a, it's a big sacrifice, but when people can put all that aside and say, look, look I'll do whatever it takes. I think that is just kind of something that we don't see it often, but when we do, those are the easiest people to, to bring into our group and say, you know, we can, we can mold you from here on the flip side of that is 
when you're applying uh, and looking for different opportunities, yes, you want to get your foot in the door, but do your best to try and understand how the employer is going to mentor you and try and ask those questions and figure out if I go here, am I going to enjoy my day to day? Because I'm, I'm sure it's happened not in professional baseball uh, necessarily, but to where someone thinks that they have a great opportunity, whether it's salary or, or, or whatever the, the optics of it, they go in and the environment's just not conducive for them. They could have everything on paper looks great, but they just do not enjoy them being there. So figuring out, is this the work environment that I want to be in and why? So I knew that when I first day I walked in with the Diamondbacks, I just felt welcomed and I knew that I was going to be uh, taken care of and it was going to be a, a mutual relationship of being respected and respecting them. Um, so as you're, especially in your formative years as an athletic trainer, understanding what does it mean to have a good mentor and hopefully everyone has the opportunity to find one and it doesn't have to be a professional baseball, but finding a good mentor and understanding their qualities and saying, okay, I can learn best and I can be the best that I can be around you and people like you. And so when you look for that new job environment, trying to figure out, you know, how can we work together? Not just what can you give for me and how can you grow me? Because that's going to fall ultimately on, uh, the student coming in or the, the new professional coming in. It's very much on you to you know open up a book, study, ask questions, and think. But uh, at the same time, you need that, uh, that mentor who's going to be there to listen to your questions and give you those opportunities. So um, just asking pointed questions when you, when you get those opportunities to, to meet someone new in the profession or, or a job opportunity is, you know, how can how how do we see ourselves growing together? Because it's not about how can you see how do you see growing me. It's not about you know what can I do for you as the employer. It's about us going together, and mm-hmm. and ultimately just you know growing the profession by being the best that we can be for each other. Not as mm-hmm. not as athletic trainers only, but as people. Yeah, that's a great tip there for just development of, uh, you know, people and athletic trainers. Um, awesome to hear that, you know, you have that insight and and really want to help the uh, the next generation of athletic trainers, you know, get to that position. Um, well, Vic, this has been awesome. You shared so much quality information that students and, and young professionals in the athletic training can take forward. Uh, to wrap up today's episode, we're going to finish with a quick Q&A segment called Extra Bases. So I'm going to ask you uh, four quick questions and uh, let you share some insight with the audience into some of your favorite things uh, about athletic training. So we will kick it off at first base here. So you've made a handful of stops along the way to your current role with the Dodgers. Um, along the way, do you have a favorite athletic training room that you've worked in? I think I'd have to go with the, uh, the Rome Braves athletic training room. was uh, not only the first you know, full season uh, gig, but uh, just the amount of space we had in there and uh, vicinity to the weight room and, and the clubhouse was just kind of everyone was all together and uh great great team there uh in general but mm-hmm. i just remember having my own office and i remember sitting down and looking through the, the plexiglass window and, and being able to see see the training room and i kind of was like yeah i, I feel like i've uh i've kind of made it <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah the, uh, I realized that I, I hadn't when uh, <laughs> when we explored the rest of the Sally League, but it was kind of a, a nice little it was a nice little setup to where I kind of felt like I I had some uh, 
some new responsibilities that I was happy to embrace. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure the first place that, you know, you kind of get that office and uh, you can see it all unfold in front of your eyes has to be really cool and obviously well-deserved in your case. Um, Moving on to second base, uh, you know, you guys have such a cool vantage point um, for watching baseball games. Unlike any other besides players and coaches, you're in the dugout. Uh, Is there a favorite stadium that you have to watch a game from inside the dugout? I remember first time I got to go into the dugout, that was in, uh, in Turner field just before the, the Braves moved over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, uh, Andrew and I went into the, the dugout and, and watched the game from there and same thing. It's not necessarily starstruck, but it was kind of one of those moments where, you know, you, you felt like you were even more part of the team and, and just part of, uh, something special and, you know, very, very kind of him to, to offer that. And just the, you know, conversations we'd have on the, on the bench there and, and just kind of, you know, seeing what you used to watch on TV, as mo- most people say, you, you watch it on TV and then you're there in person. But just the more of the the, the feeling of being supported and and being uh, hopefully back there again someday was was <laughs> special to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and moving on to third base uh, again. Much like traveling to to different dugouts, different training rooms, you guys also travel to a ton of cities. So, do you have a favorite city to visit when you're on the road? I'm going to make a hot take here. Um, <laughs> just this past summer, no one is. I'm, I guarantee you on this uh, podcast, no one's ever going to say this. I don't think, and not to uh, badmouth the city, but uh, Visalia, California. I okay. You, uh, I don't know if you're uh, surprised by that one or not, but um, I think the uh, it kind of brought me back a little bit. You know, going there. Uh, last year had been a, a little bit since I've been in the the grind of, of minor league baseball, but mm-hmm. you know, the, not the not the most updated uh, situation there. But again, <laughs> like it kind of it kind of reminded me of like, okay, we got these two hands that we work with, and uh, you know, we're gonna tough it out here together, and and you know, if we can really rely on our our brains as opposed to any sort of uh, of, of equipment, you know, that sometimes kind of humbles you a little bit, and then. Just the vicinity to uh, Sequoia National Park, I think, is is pretty cool too. Just being able to see the mountains in the the background, mm-hmm. uh, some interesting places you can see along the way in, in minor league baseball for sure. So, yeah, no, that that's an answer I, I can assure you we have not heard yet on the podcast, but I think there's a you know great reason behind it, and, and it means something to you, which is really cool to hear, um, and quite different than than the normal you know, Chicago or Boston or anything like that. So it's, it's really cool to hear that. Uh, moving on to home plate for the last question today. Um, you know, a lot of you guys get thrown into the fire. You have some crazy moments along the way in your first couple of years in, in professional baseball athletic training. Um, at any time in your career, you know, you mentioned being in the, in the Rome Braves athletic training room, feeling like you made it. Uh, did you ever have a true welcome to pro ball moment so far? In a good way or a bad way? Either way, could be good, could be bad. You know, what really stuck out to you in terms of like, wow, I'm I'm here and and this is what I do now. Uh, well, speaking more recently, I you know my first year as coordinator, I remember my phone going off probably about a dozen times in a row with a few different injuries happening, and uh, I had to send all those along and and make sure everyone was informed. And I just remember mm-hmm. feeling like, man, is this is this my fault? I was like, it, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's you know part of the job, and you know, no one wants to get that many texts about injured guys, but, uh, again, thankfully with, uh, with the teammates I have here, they supported me and said, look, that's part of the, part of the, uh, game guys are going to get hurt. 
And it's not about, you know, what happens necessarily. Sometimes it is, but it's not about what happens, but, you know, how you react to it and, and what you do about it. Because, you know, they put me in this position to, to find the solution. And, and so from there, it's, you know, how can we make it better and what's our plan? And I think that's more powerful. But uh, I think that was a kind of a scary moment and something where you just kind of felt beat down and dejected. But just knowing that we have a supportive group, not just from the athletic training staff, but, you know, coaches in front office all the way up and down here. Um, just being supportive and knowing that we'll, we'll find a solution together. Yeah, definitely have a, a great team over there that's going to help you get get through anything. You know, again, I mentioned Ron Porterfield as the leader over there, and and just I honestly can't think of anyone better to to lead a group. Um, you know, he was just the went out as PBATS president for a long time, and and really just uh, you know amazing guy. And and you guys have a great staff over there, so I'm sure any uh, welcome to Pro Ball moment could be handled quite easily for you guys. But hey, Vic, I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, we appreciate you and your dedication to PBATS and the profession of athletic training. And uh, wish you, Ron, and the and the guys and and women down there uh, the best of luck in spring training in this upcoming season. Thanks a lot, Sam. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Inside Athletic Training. We hope you've gained valuable insights, inspiration, and knowledge to fuel your athletic training journey. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And also, stay connected with us on pbats.com for more news about athletic training and sports medicine.